Primary motivation is that I love to build uh, directly. That's the reason why I got into this space. So I think it's hard to not code. That was a way of shaking people's mental models up a little so that they get nudged just a little bit to read up a little more about it because their mental model sort of uh, got shaken a little. So that was the attempt. Hitting walls is good because we know that we've maxed something out about ourselves. We get nudged towards learning something more, right? So, so it's it's a good thing that uh, this happened. It's it's almost like learning how to learn because the industry is moving so fast. You need to have that capacity and that orientation to keep learning. One of the best ways to do that is by always looking at one level below. I think frameworks can be many, but the underlying concepts are not as many. I'd put that number much lower. <laughs> teaching spring these days. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Uh, you know, my point is, it's very crucial to understand what that framework offers, right? You may not have been the person who made the choice to use that framework, but you better be the person who understand, who can defend the choice of that framework. Great engineers excel at identifying these choices that this is a choice. Recognizing that how I design this is going to have a large impact for me six months, nine months, one year down the line. Dragging you to a bit of a controversial topic now. Okay. Uh, these or not? Uh, yeah. These. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> uh, but I think, uh, I think you and Abhimanyu recently were discussing on a Twitter space also about this. Exactly the kind of, you know, peer group you're saying where, you know, somebody after few glasses of alcohol also <laughs> not able to think properly, but geeky jokes getting cracked. <laughs> And somebody disagrees that no, as a hai, then like, nahi, maybe laptop kolke, I will do it and I will show it. <laughs> Not able to type properly, but I, no, I have to prove this point. I agree. But the, the real question is do you want to survive? Do you want to excel? Okay. If you do want to excel along these lines in this industry, there's really no substitute for going deep. Hey, this is Arnav from Scalar. And uh, today we will be in conversation with someone very famous. We have with us today here Amod Malviya, who was formerly the CTO of Flipkart and the co-founder of Udan as well. So he has come here today to talk about uh, how engineers can learn for fun as well as profit. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk to Amod about it. Hey Amod, uh, welcome to Scalar. Uh, thanks for taking out your time. Um, so uh, we have a bunch of questions for you. Uh, I'd love to talk a little bit about how engineers uh, learn uh, as their careers progress. Um, and then before we begin that, I uh, have a question right in the beginning is that uh, I see that uh, you very regularly also code yourself. And uh, a lot of people sometimes uh, say that, you know, people who have gone to a level of a CTO, like you have been CTO of Flipkart, uh, now running Udan as well. So uh, at that point, people think that, okay, managing people a lot, doing a lot of administrative work, probably not hands-on coding themselves anymore. That perception exists. So, for example, maybe a direct question, why do you code? Ah, so, I think uh, primary motivation is that I love to build uh, directly. Um, I think um, if you, that, that's the reason why I got into this space. So, I think it's hard to not code directly uh, not coding is just a part of engineering as you would guess uh, so not being involved directly in technical decisions is something 
I don't think I can do. Um, so the primary motivation is love. Um, but uh, I should clarify that I, I, I don't think I'm unique in that. I think a lot of the people that I really admire and respect, uh, they tend to do pretty much the same thing. Uh, they have not, they have not let go of their technical interests, their technical chops on a day-to-day basis just because they have additional responsibilities. Right. I think um, I have, I figure out how to manage my non-technical responsibilities uh, instead of giving away my direct development uh, pieces. By the way, there's also a, a bunch of practical reasons mm-hmm. behind uh, such an approach. I think first is it's hard to keep yourself relevant in the technical industry without having a direct taste of the problem right. or a direct rate, a, a direct taste of the technologies uh, that we use. Um, hearing about a technology versus directly using it are two very different things, as you can imagine. Um, the So that's one practical reason why I like to do it. Um, Another practical reason is often enough I see how to describe it. I think there's a certain empathy that is needed to imagine what it is like to be in the shoes of the engineers who are building everything that your company stands for. Okay. Right. Um, In my personal experience, I felt that the empathy disappears very quickly if you are not actively putting yourself in the same shoes. And this is not specific to engineers, by the way. Same goes for the salespeople in your organization. If you've not tried doing a, you know, a bunch of sales every now and then directly, it's hard for you to empathize with your sales team, right? Same goes for engineering. So there are, there's, there are practical reasons to continue to uh, be directly putting yourself in the shoes of engineers. So there's also a bit more practical uh, reason behind it. I think um, technology is one of those areas which tends to move very fast, right? There's a lot of new technologies coming in. Um, Without having a direct taste of those technologies or a direct taste of the problem that those technologies solve, it's very difficult to make judgment or arrive at a deep enough understanding of those technologies. So that's another reason why being hands-on is almost like a, a crucial life skill for anybody in this space. Um, I think designations come and go. Uh, you know, I have often described myself as an engineer. Right? Uh, I encourage all the people who work with me to think similarly. Um, another practical reason is um, empathy. Building in the software space, the number of things that engineers need to keep in mind is actually quite large. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to understand the kind of complexity they are dealing with, the kind of pain that they go through without putting yourself in those shoes directly. Mm -hmm. Um, So that empathy uh, is much easier to build when you are doing the same job as them. And it's not just true for engineers, by the way, right? Um, I find it the easiest to empathize with my sales team 
uh, when I am actually, you know, selling alongside with them, yeah. right? So that's the sort of uh, activity that one needs to do. And given the fact that I'm in a space which requires me to build, uh, engineering is, uh, is one of the things that I continue to be hands-on about. Right, right. Um, uh, picking from there, another thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, one of the, the reasons I got to know that you actually are coding hands-on these days, every day is looking at your uh, weekend dev challenge that you were doing on Twitter. Um, I myself participated in a few of them also, loved all those challenges. But off late, I have seen that you have not been continuing with that. Uh, so is there a reason to that? <laughs> so I, I, I think uh, the reason to discontinue was just simply that, um, you know, I'd run out of high quality uh, questions, okay. right? Um, so I am building a corpus again. As I encounter, I think, you know, um, it's it's probably worthwhile to to mention why it takes time to build uh, corpus of these problems. Um, May I interject? Why did you start with it first of all? If you can tell us a little. Fair bit. enough. I, I I suppose there would be there would be a good overlap. So happy to talk about that as well. Um, if you notice the you know it's it's phrased as a weekend dev challenge, yeah. not weekend engineering challenge, hmm. right? Um, I think um, software development as against software engineering. Um, I'm sort of pushing the, the, the definitions to these words a little here. Uh, so don't get offended by any, <laughs> anything of this sort. Um, software development as in coding, programming, right? It's a space that is blessed with a tremendous amount of improvement in the abstractions that it offers. 20 years back when I first started in the industry, um, the raw nerves of the machinery that you're dealing with, you needed to be exposed to that to actually be a good developer, right? Um, that is no more the case. Uh, the, the computing technology has evolved so much that you don't need to necessarily understand every single in, you know, inard about how computing works in order to be able to produce useful software, right? Uh, JavaScript, there's a reason why JavaScript is the most popular language on GitHub. Uh, you know, some of us may hate it, but, you know, my learning has been that it's really the easiest language to program in, hmm. right? Um, and what that does is it allows people to express what they need in the easiest possible fashion, right? Which is why it's the best uh, that and Python and a bunch of other languages are really good languages for beginners to get started with, right? You don't really need to understand any bit of the engineering behind it in order to be productive. But one of the negative effects of these, the goodness of these abstractions is that people end up being far too removed from the tools and the machines that they end up using on a day-to-day -day basis. Driving an automatic car. Precisely, right? Uh, you know, first, you know, the transmission became automatic and now we are getting into automatic cars. Um, uh, just to be clear, it's for the good of society, yes. right? It, it's, it's, I am firmly in the camp that it's great that we have far more people who can produce useful stuff, right? Because expressibility, or to phrase it differently, accessibility of technology from a developer's perspective has gone through the roof. Right. Um, 
at the same time, there's a cost to it. The cost is that at some point in time, you end up being limited by what you can, uh, in terms of what you can do, by your understanding of these languages, these frameworks, these libraries, the machines that they run on. I started this weekend dev challenge as a way to push people into thinking deeper about the tools that they use on a day-to-day -day basis, yeah. right? Um, all of us have a certain mental model of what a computer is supposed to do, mm -hmm. right? Predictability ranks at the top. Given the same input and an imperative program, you have the same output. Um, you don't think about cache lines, you don't think about branch prediction, all of those problems that are presented <laughs> yes. in the weekend of challenge. That was a way of shaking people's mental models up a little so that they get nudged just a little bit to read up a little more about it because their mental model sort of, uh, you know, uh, got shaken a little. So that was the attempt. And to do that, the nature of problems that we need to bring up uh, needs to have a certain quality to it, needs to have a certain provocation to it. Uh, so if you notice, all of those problems had some provocation around some particular aspect. Um, um, but yeah, so I was done with the corpus of things that I could think of at that point in time. I'm preparing a new one. I think once it's ready, then we'll restart season two. Season two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, that, that reminds me of an incident that happened uh, with a student of mine. He was working on a React project and got stuck in something. Some His project was not building. So he said, can I share my screen and show what happened? So that turned into a big rabbit hole. So we found out there was some problem with his version of Node.js, some Node JIP uh, was not working, which needed uh, reinstalling of Python, uh, which then led to figuring out that he had recently updated his macOS. And as a result of that, the C++ headers inside uh, Clang was not working. So we had to compile with GCC. Then I told that you have to, you know, reinstall your CLang compiler as well. So after that whole ordeal, I think it lasted six, seven hours with screen sharing. And all. he said that I have only been making React uh, apps now. There can be a situation where I'm stuck, where I have to understand how Python works, how the C++ compiler works, how a mismatched header with the lib file can actually lead things to not building. Then I think he spent the next six months getting into all of these things because he got motivated by that and understood uh, the reason for that. Uh, so a question here is like, you have obviously seen a lot of engineers grow. Some people end up going into the depths, the bowels of how things are working. Some end up not also going. Um, what makes someone actually go towards it and uh, what can be sort of motivations other than maybe say encountering a weekend dev challenge from you? <laughs> well, I think uh, firstly, it's fantastic that, uh, you know, that person encountered a trigger that pushed him or her to explore a, little, a lot more detail, right? Uh, it's been my own personal journey as well. When we hit that wall, that's, you know, hitting walls is good because we know that we've maxed something out about ourselves mm -hmm. and, you know, we, we get uh, we get nudged towards learning something more, right? So so it's, it's a good thing that uh, this happened. Um, about what makes people do it, I think motivations can be money. One is hitting a wall, like yeah. you described. Another one is curiosity, 
right um, some people are innately a little more curious right. and i feel that you know it's it's a trait that is almost a survival skill yeah. when it comes to thinking about longevity yeah. in this industry yeah. because this industry changes like in a this is the, this is the fastest moving industry that i have known True. about ever since i started in this so if you're not curious enough you you hitting walls again and again while it will happen it, it is still a pretty slow way of evolving yeah. right um so the more unpredictable as well unpredictable as when well you hit a wall, you never know. absolutely absolutely and um, i think uh, pretty recently you know i had a twitter space with uh, anshuman on this topic about uh, college curriculum versus uh, you know versus academies like scalar etc the the point is the same to what degree are you developing this ability to it's it's almost like learning how to learn because the industry is moving so fast yeah. you need to have that capacity and that orientation to keep learning one of the best ways to do that is by always looking at one level below hmm. right which in your case was mapping on to how the headers yeah. were actually getting used in the compilation of some of those uh, some of those some of the, some, some of that source code right um for people who would have done that proactively they would have moved beyond this wall far more quickly okay. right um and again just to be clear absolutely nothing wrong with hitting a wall okay yeah. that happens no matter how much we study yeah. right uh, if that's not happening it means that there's something wrong with the environment in which we are working by the way um but you know we can maximize our chances of moving beyond these walls a lot faster by keeping ourselves prepared and that is one of the things that uh, you know i do feel that everybody in the in this industry yeah. should do a lot more proactively than just waiting for that need to emerge understood um there is another angle uh, to it as well as uh, that uh, i keep hearing from a lot of uh, my my students who are also working and Uh, especially like if you take any field let's say devops sri so from something like docker then there is kubernetes understanding logging there is grafana kibana all of that and there is then like further orchestration solutions around kubernetes 10 different things uh, or uh, something which i very personally am uh, doing is like mobile development now started off like writing a few lines of java and app gets built now there are three different kinds of architecture to learn there's the os itself has also evolved so uh, horizontally speaking also people find that there are a lot of things in, in whatever domain even before going deeper uh, there is too many libraries to learn too many languages to learn and a uh, lot of times i find people telling me that they're feeling overwhelmed with all of these things uh, so so the question that sort of arises out of it is like should we learn all of these technologies like if i'm a front end developer should i go and learn react view angular all of them uh, is it even the correct thing to do so how do we approach this where even like in the horizontal space there are so many things available sort of overwhelms people yeah that's a that's a very real problem uh, that's a very real problem i've heard this directly from people as well that the moment no matter which part of the technology space you start exploring the number of things that come at you yeah. is just so tremendous right for every area you've got like what 50 different frameworks <laughs> yeah and some senior comes and says hey you're doing this you should do this instead <laughs> yeah that's true that's true so i think the problem is very real 
Um, my suggestion about, uh, you know, when, when people talk about this feeling of overwhelmed is actually, my experience has been that it's, there's a very straightforward way of actually dealing with this. I think frameworks can be many, yeah. right? But the underlying concepts are not as many. Okay, because, you know, different frame frameworks end up making different choices and constraints about how they're approaching it, uh, how they're approaching the same problem. The more important thing for us, what I recommend to people is that pick anything and move ahead. Get yourself far more deeply familiarized with one framework. Let, just make sure that the framework is very heavily used. Yeah. Because that way you are minimizing a wrong choice. Yeah, I mean, right? if a lot of people are using that at least as a basic a, at benchmark. Yeah, at least, at least you know, it's highly likely to contain best practices. Mm -hmm. Highly likely, though, there is never a guarantee. Yeah, but right? still. <laughs> um, so unless you are entering an environment like a company where there is already some framework being used, in which case your choices are naturally made for you, so to say, right? Um Irrespective of whether the choice is made for you or whether you are making a choice, what is far more important is to invest in understanding everything about that framework, mm -hmm. right? Using it as deeply, as richly as possible. Understanding what are the primary benefits that the framework authors are claiming. Do we understand that, okay. right? For example, uh, dependency injection, right? It's a phrase I can tell you if you were to ask, um, you know, 10 engineers who use Spring, my guess would be that less than 50% would be able to explain what that clearly I'd is. I put that number much lower. <laughs> and teaching Spring these days. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Um, you know, my, my point is, it's very crucial to understand what that framework offers, yeah. right? You may not have been the person who made the choice to use that framework, but you better be the person who understand, who can defend the choice of that framework. If that means asking people who made that choice, so be it. If that means um, looking into every aspect of how we are using that framework, so be it. It's very important to deeply familiarize ourselves with the tool set that we are using. That gives us some basis. That basis, is very useful when we go outside of that framework, right? Say for example, say for example, you are using React, right? Um, it has, it, the fundamental programming model there is that uh, it has a reactive way, uh, your, your UI reacts to the changes in your state, right? Uh, so you wire things up in your code in, in that fashion. Uh, but all of that is happening at runtime, yeah. right? Uh, there is another framework, I, I don't think I'm pronouncing it correct, correctly, but Svelte or something, Svelte, yeah, yeah. right? Now, it does the same thing, but a lot more on the compile time. Yeah, uh, the time. yeah the, right? So it, it, in that sense, it's a little similar to how Java's runtime behavior versus Rust compile time uh, behavior, right? So yeah. the safety guarantees exactly at what point in time this, that that's happening, yeah. those sort of things. So you start seeing these patterns right um, when you move from one framework to another yeah. but guess what you will not see these patterns if you will not deeply fam uh, you know familiarize yourself with yeah. with that framework yeah. 
right? Because if you don't even understand what the underlying concept or construct behind that framework is, when you move from that framework to another, your ability to do that pattern matching is going to be very low. You, you know, if you're working just at the superficial level, the syntactical level than at the conceptual level, you know, the chances of being overwhelmed are much higher. On the other hand, if you are working at the conceptual level, the concepts tend to be much lesser in nature, much lesser in number than the number than than the syntax. The, the frameworks offer a variety of different syntax and you know, they, you know there would be minor changes in, in the signature and stuff like that. If people are just learning this, yeah. the chance of them, them being overwhelmed is way more. On the other hand, if they are able to operate at one or two levels deeper, their information density is actually much better. Right. Okay, so that's what I recommend to people who feel overwhelmed that operate at a few layers below. Probably a small, uh, you know, escalation to that question, I would say. And uh, drawing from my personal experience, when I started out uh, my my own first startup and I had to build a front end myself. And uh, I think back then there were two popular frameworks was Angular and Ember. React was React, Vue, Svelte, these things were not there. And uh, somehow Angular felt like something that I don't, I'm not able to think in Angular, but I was able to think in Ember.js. And I built the uh, dashboard and all everything in Ember. And then slowly, slowly these frameworks, like I mean, React did exist back then, but was not so popular and it started growing in popularity. And I think for the longest time, I think for maybe two years, I would try to learn some other framework and it would cause a revolt internally that, hey, I can't think in this language or in this framework, right? Uh, today, I have built a lot of projects in a lot of front-end frameworks. And now I think in terms of, as you were saying, in concepts that I see that, okay, there are three things all these frameworks are solving. There is dividing the view into a component tree, state management, and routing on the front-end. No frameworks does anything other than these three things. It's all these three things. Yeah. And now I open any project in any framework, and I'm able to visualize at a concept level rather than a framework yeah. level. How does somebody actually transcend that? Like thinking in a framework to thinking in a concept. Is there something can accelerate that journey? A question for you. Yeah. The first time you did that, the first time that you managed to cross yourself into thinking in a different model yeah. versus the fifth or the sixth time you did that, yeah. which one was easier? Yeah, obviously, like the fifth, sixth time. I think, uh, in fact, to frame it that way, what happened was I uh, got into this Google Summer of Code. And there I made a project which was in Angular. The choice was not made for me, uh, wasn't in my hand. The mentor said, we have to build it in Angular. So I was very much thinking everything in analogy of, okay, this is the component in Angular. This is a component. Yeah, in you were mapping that. Mapping yeah. between the two frameworks. Yeah. Uh, then third time I had to uh, work on a, I think I had forked some open source admin tool I needed for my startup and that was in React. So I had to write code in React to modify that. And when it became three, then I started thinking that I can't keep that map like this. I have to map it down to something more common. And that's when the concept started, I think. Precisely. So you've answered your, your own <laughs> uh, question. Thanks for doing that for me. Um, it's like, um, you know, um, the first time that we started speaking in English, right? So I come from a fairly smallish town. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we used to this, do this mistake of 
thinking in Hindi and then translating it to English. And, uh, you know, very weird phrases would uh, <laughs> uh, would come up, like, right? So, is it correct? No. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, matlab, you know, the, yeah, it, it's like it's like you're, you're literally thinking in that and, you know, you're sort of transferring it out, right? You're not thinking, your, your native think, thinking model is not that of the language that, yeah. the new language that you're trying to learn. And the best way around that is to just continue to expose yourself to that new language, new technology, whichever way, whatever it is, the, the new thing that you're trying to learn. And the analogies are many. Programming languages are one, right? So there we talk about idiomatic programming, yeah. right? You can learn the syntax, but most often when the when people are you know uh, are learning their second language, they are still thinking in their first programming language yeah. and doing the one is to okay, what is the syntax of you know uh, this particular for loop? You may not be needing a for loop. You may be need, needing a map or a filter, mm -hmm. right? But you you are still thinking in for loops because your first language didn't have a map or a filter, Correct. right? So that idiomatic, uh, idiomatically thinking about that, that new technology, that happens only when it starts becoming, becoming a pain for your brain to continuously do the mapping. Right. And how do you create that pain? Yeah. By continuously exposing yourself, right. right? So continuously exposing yourself more and more to diverse set of frameworks, diverse set of languages, diverse set of technologies, even in product uh, domain, even to product managers. One of the things that I often call out is do not be stuck in a domain, hmm. right? Because the, the sort of patterns that we see, right? We fail to leverage learning in an, another domain and transferring it out to another domain hmm. if we do not expose ourselves to diversity. It, it enriches us. Just just like in our, in our day-to-day -day living, exposing ourselves ourselves to diverse cultures sort of shapes the way we think, yeah. right? That is what is really needed for in the technology world as well. You significantly enhance your capability to think at lower levels, at those conceptual levels. The more you, the more diversity you expose yourself to. So your what you described is precisely what I talked about in this very extra long way <laughs> no no but but that i think that that's uh, very helpful uh, to sort of have a, a good framework around doing this thing um coming to a little more uh, you know learning and mapping it also with uh, like an engineering career also so uh, we we keep on talking to a lot of engineering leaders who are also hiring people from uh, scalar one uh, i think theme that uh, keeps coming up uh, in those discussions both with the people who are at that stage of the career and with the leaders in the tech industry also is that somewhere around a SD3 kind of a region where you know you are doing low level design of your feature uh, you have you have you're not like an entry level engineer anymore you're a little bit senior but that's a place where both people are saying that they are stagnating themselves and they really don't know how to sort of go ahead and it seems like even uh, people who are running large tech orgs, they're saying that, yeah, we have a lot of engineers getting at SD3 level, good SD3s performing well. You give them a abstract product and they're able to engineer that up to that level they're getting. Then beyond that, uh, they're, they're not sort of growing. 
so is it i mean i think first question would be is it something that you have also seen you have figured and if that's the case then any uh, you know suggestions for people who are in that stage what are the things that they should do i think um, because you use the word sd3 specifically i think different companies will have different of course, sort yeah. of uh, structures but I, i get the i get the core thought behind the question um i think um, as people evolve as people take up spend more time on a problem or inside an organization and as they grow within that that organization one of the things that actually changes is the the complexity of the decisions that they are making the higher order effects of their decisions right and the degree of ambiguity that they are exposed to right at the if i can use this, this the word lowest level i don't really enjoy <laughs> though these phrases just to be clear i i don't really believe in in that concept but just to maintain a certain traditional Yeah. to make my response relevant to the traditional setup i am phrasing it like this the entry level engineer is typically expected to have the least amount of ambiguity hmm. right they are not asked to design yeah they are not asked to come up with api contracts yeah they are not asked to do modeling like which how should this entity be represented and stuff like that they are expected to write working code correct given code very detailed specifications given fairly detailed specifications they become increasingly better at it gradually they start doing a little bit of incremental changes to api design incremental changes to uh, the the core models of that product um and they start rising through the ranks one of the big points of flipping over when people recognize that oh i'm not completely prepared for this is when they move from incremental changes to completely from scratch build out yeah okay but there's a specific way that they fail there um the big reason for failure is not being able to think about ambiguous scenarios for a, i'll give an example say for example you're starting an e-commerce company do you think about it as a marketplace at the core or do you think about it as a first party at the core it completely changes the lowest levels of code that you have the whole design changes yeah right you will have in in the marketplace scenario you have the concept of a seller vendors uh, yeah and this notion flowing throughout all right. right so i often represent there's a there's a tweet that i'd done sometime back about an inverted pyramid mm-hmm. at the lower most choices are things like you know who do you want to be yeah. right this marketplace versus first party sort of thing sitting at the core because these things now float around in your code throughout every single part of your system yeah like a seller well, id exactly it will be there at the the, the yeah. leaf level so object will be system, there yeah your accounting systems would be aware about it your user interfaces are going to be aware about it which means that your api contracts between your ui and the server is going to be aware the about the last it. surface would also have seller id precisely right so in that in that inverted pyramid that surface level which tends to be most fluxy yeah and most pervasive in terms of size of the surface area 
that one is aware about seller id mm. so a change there yeah. is going to be very very difficult to make correct correct right um great engineers excel at identifying these choices that this is a choice recognizing that how i design this is going to have a large impact for me 6 months 9 months one year down the line great engineers excel at identifying those crucial junctions of decision identifying that this is a, this is ambiguous and no matter what cho- choice i make it's going to have a pervasive impact on the rest of the build out around it yeah. secondly they are great at thinking about higher order effects hmm. i'm talking about great engineers currently then we'll talk about how people how people get yeah. to here um the higher order effects is which are the areas which i need to keep fungible need to keep a certain amount of flexibility in a, in its design both from a product construct perspective as well as the underlying system design perspective keeping the door open keeping the door open precisely right great engineers excel at identifying which doors to keep open right. now not for non techies yeah every door is open <laughs> <laughs> as right. a people complain product manager came and changed yeah. the whole design or something right. yeah so a pro- uh, uh, you know good pms are uh, don't say that but yeah a lot of uh, not so good pms or people who don't understand how technology works can easily think yeah th- all i want is this change why do why will it take you one month or three months to implement yeah i mean like the like why one small change here takes one day and one small change here takes one month precisely yeah, that, that precisely right um great engineers excel at figuring out which doors to keep open what are the trade offs that actually come with it in fact just uh, yesterday or day before i somebody had uh, tagged me on a post by bhavin turakia if i remember correctly mm-hmm. um very talked about um uh, that engineers make for poor product managers because for them everything is possible no i can't i can't claim to understand every single what what he intended to say there was yeah. but i can tell you that great engineers can be cannot be great engineers without being great product managers mm-hmm. without having great product thinking because these choices are coupled yeah at a certain scope what you're working on is a product yes. like even your right. api interface is a product in that sense precisely system. and and it's it's an artifact of what product choices you've made these things are coupled they are not uh, standing in a, in isolation right so people actively practicing making decisions navigating ambiguities thinking about higher order higher order effects which things may change in future trying to sort of uh, do a little bit of you know future crystal ball gazing and stuff um and which doors to definitely close down because the complexity cost is too high if you were to keep that door open right 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 actively practicing it is what actually gets people uh to the next level right unfortunately most orga- organizations do not actively teach such a thing right. okay so what tends to happen is that they recognize it in their leveling and stuff but people have not been getting actively trained on that and the expectation is set but the path is not set yes right so then then people end up being stuck a little yeah. and this is very easily noticed on on actual technical building side mm. far less noticeable when you're on the em side mm. when you so which is why you know i i done a poll once right you would remember 
where I'd asked, is it easier to rise on the IC ranks or the managerial rank? <laughs> a big reason why from SD3, my personal experience has been, there were different responses, but my personal experience has been, people tend to move from SD3 to EM because it's yes. easier to actually get promoted. And in the EM ladder, further promotions are, 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 are the future is sort of more well-constructed there. More well-constructed, I would probably describe it as it's softer. Hmm. The definitions actually tend to be because it tends to be in, in, in not hard. These are not like your throughput needs to be this much or your latency needs to be this much, right? The the goals. Yeah, team of five is happy with you, so let's give yeah. you a team of ten. Right. Like so that. it tends to it tend, it tends to have softer connotations. Mm -hmm. um, but anyhow, I think a big reason why people end up being stuck from that SD three or two architect or whatever yeah. is because that they've not been explicitly trained in that, and people can definitely practice a lot more ambiguity, which takes us back by the way to exposing themselves to far more different circumstances. Right, right, right. So the path is pretty much the same. Just not being limited by what is being thrown at you. Actively studying right. choices, ambiguities. Mm -hmm. The more you train yourself on it, the faster you would yeah. grow. One one part that you talked about was product thinking. And uh, sometimes I hear about engineers wanting to become product managers as well. And that's a question I want to come to uh, a little later. But before that, uh, there is something inside this question also I wanted to uh, ask about is, so like the second order effect of this question is that you have to work on a lot of different, maybe different frameworks, different technologies, different domains, which obviously uh, helps you uh, grow, as you have said. Uh, but then a lot of people also say this, that they're working uh, in a startup and life is already hard and hectic. Uh, so not able to take time out for side projects or for learning is something that people uh, say a lot. Whether they really do not have time or not is a different question. Maybe part of could be part of your answer. But uh, what do you have to say to somebody who actually comes up with this problem that... Uh, yes, to learn, I have to do a lot of other things, but uh, working 10 hours a day, maybe I don't have time for that. Um, I think you can be busy productively and you can be busy non-productively, right? Mm -hmm. In startups, what tends to happen is that you are typically busy productively. If you, if you are in a good startup, I don't claim that all startups are good. <laughs> uh, if you're busy productively, what I, what I mean by that is, you're solving problems that you haven't seen before or solved before a number of times, right? The more you're doing it, you already have that opportunity to, because you're, you're hitting a wall, you are doing something that you haven't done before, going back to our earlier yes. analogy of hitting a wall, right? Um, it is an opportunity. How you are approaching that problem, how you're conducting yourself on a day-to-day -day basis is what differentiates whether how much you end up learning right. from that experience. So you don't actually have to be looking at side projects. If in a startup, you are getting time for side projects, there is something that you need to think about. Yeah. Okay. A startup is supposed to be like, you know, just you are so deeply immersed in a problem. It ends up being very difficult to actually uh, take time. But a startup sort of makes up for that by making sure that you have tremendous learning opportunity mm. so long as you are approaching the problem in a right way. Let me use a few examples on that. You know that kuch na kuch hota hai. Startups <laughs> mein, right? Usually. <laughs> Simple thing. Do you have RCAs for it? Mm. Why did something break? Right. 
right? To what degree you end up being rigorous in the in that RCA is going to define your learning. How deep you how deep you how actually, many wise you ask precisely, right? So five wise and all of those things. I think leaving aside the terminologies, uh, the more uh, important thing is: Do you end up doing it? Do you end up being rigorous? For example, in fact, this was part of one of our weekend dev challenges, right? You want to split up a micro. Uh, you you want to split up a service into two different microservices, right? Do you end up just taking the call and you know, going ahead? Obviously, nobody in the in in your company is going to crib much if you were to do that. But then you've not really learned something, right? You have an opportunity to call out what is my current uptime of this service and what exactly am I looking to address? The real right? trade off. The real trade off, right? So for example, one of the one of the trade offs could be. This specific subset of code in my service is changed way too frequently. And one out of 30 deployments leads to a failure, right? By pulling this out, I'm compartmentalizing uh, this into a separate service. Right. And these are the specific changes that I'm going to do in order to minimize cascading uh, effects of my failures in the newly created microservice. Okay. As a result of that, the remaining parts uh, stability is improved. Is improved. Yeah. If you're not committing to it, you are likely being intellectually dishonest. Yeah. Right? You are likely just doing it because you want to. Or right? you have heard people say so. Yeah. <laughs> or, or you've just, uh, you know, jumped on the bandwagon that microservices are good. Yeah. Blindly. Absolutely nothing in technology works blindly. Every best practice has a certain context to it. If you do that, this blindly, you've deprived yourself of the opportunity to learn. Right. Right. So this is just another example would be some outage happened and you did an RCA. And was the RCA something like, oh, I pushed a bad change. Sorry, that is not good enough. Yeah. Right. You've got to think about why this change. So technically... Tomorrow, another, you know, somebody unfamiliar with the code makes a change and things will go down. Yeah. Right? So you think about, you start, the moment you start asking these questions, you start thinking about resiliency in a much more rigorous fashion. Right. Right? The more rigorous, I'm not saying in the very first go, in the very first instance in your career, you would start talking probabilities. Mm -hmm. But at least start developing this practice of rigor. Right. Engineering is all about rigor. There's a difference between a technician and a, you know, uh, an engineer. Mm -hmm. The fundamental difference is an engineer can predict how the, the system is going to behave. Right. Right. A technician is going to hack away. Yeah. Fix it and. Yeah. Let let me let, let me you know do this tuck 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 and let me see if things work. Yeah. Right. An engineer doesn't work like that. Right. Okay. So um, my, yeah, my point is that startups present tremendous opportunities. For people to learn rigor, so long as they are willing to put in that orientation, approach the problem like that. Some people say that, oh, I want to do this. My company doesn't allow me to. Well, then you have an environment problem <laughs> and you need to think about whether you want to stay in that environment or not. But yeah, that's what I would say. Right. Actually, about that last piece you were talking about, and there is a famous meme on Twitter and all also, my code works, I don't know how matters yeah. in that right uh, i do come across sometimes uh, some uh, people who, who say that you know why do i need to learn let's say what's happening inside when just changing few things here and there makes it work i am 
you know growing as an engineer also at least in their definition they're growing right uh, if if like your ctc is growing and your hd 1 2 3 numbers are growing so they are growing in their definition and and uh, uh, like 90% of the times they are working in this sort of a atmosphere where things are working but i don't really know how uh, so what's sort of your opinion is on that like is that i mean i personally think obviously it's not a good way to grow but uh, uh, you know is it like they will hit a wall or is it like they can just continue in their career like this what do you think about this um the first thing that i think is a, you are a very opinionated person <laughs> <laughs> i think uh, uh, but my my take on that isn't too different than yours um, but like purely just speaking from a is that a legitimate choice it's absolutely a legitimate choice available to people mm-hmm. it's just that they will grow in a in a in a different way different. hopefully mm-hmm. uh, than growing on the uh, than becoming better at building mm-hmm. um, i think if you're not see one at the beginning we talked about this very large change in accessibility of technology right which has allowed anybody and everybody to code to program right? yeah good enough is simultaneously the biggest strength of our industry <laughs> and the source of the biggest it's it's an it's an epidemic of 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 competence hmm. right uh, or lack of it rather yeah. um, because good enough works good enough works right but the thing is eventually you will end up hitting the limits of what you know there is absolutely no doubt about it if you are not hitting the limits of it likely you are just repeating the same thing again and again and again yeah which is a perfectly fine way to live in a in a professional environment just to be clear but if you do want to strive for excellence if you do want to keep yourself technically relevant uh, in an industry that changes so fast like everything changes in a decade yeah. in this industry uh, like i've seen ems become like completely incompetent in 3 years mm-hmm. okay um if you do not have a habit of digging deep and if you do not have a habit of retaining information at more conceptual fundamental levels yeah. it's going to be washed off it's going to be washed off which would mean that you will end up hitting a wall so unless you start going taking your career in a completely different direction like managerial or start something like that uh, i and i also feel that the role of managers in this industry will will eventually thin down asymptotically uh, so you know that's food for thought as well for people who think that it's a it's a fine way in the long run Right. Um, I do feel strongly that people should invest in thinking deeper. Got it. Got it. Understood. I mean, to understand that if you take that choice, then there is a ceiling there. There is a ceiling there. At least in the in the line of being a builder. In the line of being a builder. Okay. Even so, if you want to take a photography after you know uh, ten years, completely different from if, there. Also, I feel computational photography will sort of start. overtaking things yeah 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 it is uh, like yeah. pixel phones there yeah precise quality of photos they are taking these Pre- precisely right so what tends to happen is that technology will keep on moving either you are on the building side of things where you are the person who's making photography as a skill accessible to everybody 
और मूवी मूवी मेकिंग एज अ स्किल एक्सेसिबल टू एवरीबडी ऑल यू नीड इज योर इमेजिनेशन राइट और यू आर द पर्सन ऑन द अदर साइड हुज फार मोर ऑन द क्रिएटिव साइड ऑफ थिंग्स एंड यू यू आर फार मोर कंटेंट इन यूजिंग दीज टेक्नोलॉजीज इन ऑर्डर टू एक्सप्रेस समथिंग यू नो क्रिएट समथिंग सो इट विल बिकम अ लॉट मोर लाइक दैट पीपल हु आर गुड एट नाइदर आई थिंक विल फाइंड दैम सेल्स इन इन मोर ट्रिकी स्पॉट्स ओवर टाइम things that get automated systemized precisely that that precisely uh so in terms of learning and uh, another aspect uh, that sort of uh, comes across i think uh, recently uh, like on twitter also a lot of people are talking about is about uh, the fundamental computer science uh, concepts like how networks are working how actually a database stores data how like just between two computers how the bytes are even sent across these kind of things which uh, i mean there's a big overlap with a lot of people discussing about the skills versus degrees kind of discussion also that in colleges these concepts are taught because you know in fact uh, like if i remember uh, i did not study actually computer science i was studying electrical engineering but <laughs> even there there were so many things about like how a transistor works and i think i was very fascinated by the very fact that okay even i go as deep as possible into the computer domain uh, still i get down to a point where okay there is something called a flip flop which turns 0 to 1 but how does actually an electrical signal become 0 or 1 and then actually seeing over oh, transistor works this way uh, but anyway the 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 summary of the sort of discussion is that is learning all of these fundamental computer science concepts uh, a requirement and and uh, second order question some people say that just learn to code like like pick something like javascript as you were saying very easy to get started with pick it and start building something maybe someday later you can come back and learn and some people all are also of that camp who say that what's the point learning fundamental stuff you can just start building with javascript if you don't need it uh, what's the point so what's your take on this i think my take is everything has a context right um for example just to get started do you need understanding of all of this absolutely no right but will you find yourself limited if you're not lo- looking at one level deep then another level deep etc i think it does make a difference it definitely does make a difference um if we were to look at why people complain about some of this i think we can break it down at least my observation is has been that we can break it out, down into three sub problems yeah. one is whether i'm using what i've learned or not yeah right is it really a good definition of utility of having spent that time right second is in what way was the information presented to me right, right? my professor or my teacher didn't present it really in a way that i understood the third is to what degree have i tried to put in my own effort in trying to understand yes. some of these concepts when it comes to the first thing what we have learned whether we are uh, let, let me give you an example in 2012 or 2011, 2011 i think we just uh, moved our servers of flipkart from canada to india okay okay and we done that because latency was too high obviously um we ran into a problem where things would just suddenly our servers would lock up and we would not be able to even log in 
okay okay a bunch of troubleshooting later uh, i realized that we were what we were facing was interrupt storms right okay. network packets come in interrupt and this is before msi came in the software uh, interrupt sort of a thing um, so every packet that would come in would raise an interrupt mm -hmm. okay and beyond a, beyond a certain traffic threshold the cpu would just it's be busy just interrupted all the time it's all the, it's getting interrupted all the time now i had like through my electrical engineering course same as you i i had the luxury of the privilege of actually having known about interrupts yeah. right i can tell you that day on the floor and this is this is not to uh, claim any special expertise here but that day on the floor if i wouldn't have been there i doubt that we would have actually debugged it okay now it's easy to discard these scenarios as does not happen to everybody or you know you would you would always be able to find a reason not to respect what you've learned already in the past i feel that whatever it is that we've learned whether we are actively using or not is less relevant what is far more relevant is to what degree that an imprint of that is left with us Right, right. It shows up at some point or the other in future. It shows up. That's right. been my personal experience. Yeah. Okay. Um, recently, there was some mathematical art related thing that I'd I'd ask people, can people talk about what's the mathematics behind this? Yeah. And the underlying question was, if you were to be given an image, can you convert that image into into this sort of an art? Mm. And the point is, if you know Fourier analysis, you actually would be able to. Mm. Right. Okay. The point is that it's not the concepts that are irrelevant. It's about to what degree have we imagined? Uh, to what degree have we imagined our our ability to use some of those concepts? If you are going to wait for the world to present a problem where we have to use it, then I think you know it's it's going to be a little tricky. Okay. Um, so that's the first piece, which is assuming something to be useful only if i'm using it today hmm. i think that understanding is flawed you uh, you'd never know in what way an imprint of this you would you may not be remember able to remember every single detail that you learned but at least something would spark if you have seen that problem before if you've studied that problem before second thing is in what way a concept actually is brought to you okay relatability i do feel that a lot of that is broken and it can actually be done a lot better right but we don't need to be limiting ourselves to our professors of course we can do our own thing yeah, yeah. right i'll i'll give you an example so you know these uh, a little recently there was uh, the word entropy was uh, you know going was around. was going around on twitter <laughs> <laughs> right so anybody who studied entropy mathematically would know that it's a measure of disorder yeah right one way of thinking about ent entropy is like you don't really think about entropy. A normal engineer doesn't think about it, right? Yeah. And yet a normal engineer talks about, oh, our organization has gotten very complex. Yes, yes. Right? Too many different roles, etc. Et Chaos. Chaos, right? Uh, or in case of organizations, actually emergent behavior, hmm. right? Um, so how would you, if if pushed, can you try to define entropy for an organization as a function of number of people, number of different roles, yeah. and how information flows. Mm. 
I think it would be a very fascinating exercise to do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It would also probably solve the like somebody thinking of entropy as somebody being very active rather than entropy being actually chaos and randomness. I think the term in which entropy was getting used was okay. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Entropy think, does think, not mean more active entropy. <laughs> yeah, I think I think, but uh, I think I think layman interpretations. Uh, we've got to uh, always allow. Otherwise, I think there's too much elitism uh, <laughs> that can creep in. Uh, but my point is that I think there's fun to be had. Yes. That is not limited to the kind of problems that the world is throwing at you. You can invent your own bloody problems. <laughs> yeah. Right? Another example is, um, you know, in, in when we were... So we used to have this maths prof. I think it, this was our second year. And we just uh, read about Markov processes. Okay, which are which is about a uh, uh, system can move from state one to state two based on a, a state two or a bunch of different states based on a certain probability that is dependent only on the current state in which yeah. it is. This professor had a certain tick, a tick, uh, I don't know the particular phrase for it in English, but Takiya uh, Kalam, right? So, so you know, there's a certain way and right about uh, that, uh, you know, when he would say that, there would be, uh, right after that, there would be a series of, like one of, like three or four different things that he would actually do with his right hand. Okay. Okay. So we used to, we used to try to create a Margot model <laughs> for, you know, uh, like what is the probability of him doing this versus uh, with a, he used to do a particular movement with a, with the chalk in a certain way. So my point is, if you play around with these concepts, no matter what concept you learn, if you play around with these concepts, you can invent your own relevance. You don't have to be limited by your prof. You don't have to be limited by your company, yeah. uh, by your college, anything. Right. And I can tell you, like, when I'm going to college, this is the first thing that I ask. Tell me what is it that you've built. This is literally the only question that I, I actually ask. Um, tell me what is it uh, what it is that you built that is not that was not mandated from the college side and not a part of one of your courses and you still learned and and you built it and you built it okay okay just walk me through if people don't uh, have an answer then i get into what is it that you built as part of your curriculum yeah. what did you learn etc etc but my first question is this hmm. okay you can always invent relevance man and there's so much fun to be like it's it's a world of fun is waiting for us out there. It uh, it's sort of painful to actually see when 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 people uh, around in the industry call a concept or a learning as not relevant. Hmm. No, that's that's true. I so, think I I remember I uh, so because I was doing electrical engineering and uh, a friend of my father he had uh, this thing uh, he had an automation plant so they would create uh, these. Uh, uh, basically uh, manufacturing belts they would custom build it for factories so my dad was very insistent that please go to his place and do an internship there i have you know admitted you into electrical engineering this is something related to this field and i was interested in writing some code building websites and i was not interested but he forced me to and uh, that uncle he was also a very good family friend so i was like chalo theek hai let's see and i think during that time he told me about something called programmable logic controllers. So they have these uh, PLCs. board PLCs. And uh, I designed some of their systems using this uh, ladder logic, which is the ladder programming language like that. 
एंड डिड दैट एंड इज अ फिनिश चैप्टर लाइक दिस इज चलो वेस्ट ऑफ टाइम बट दैट मेड मी डू इट आई डोंट वॉन्ट टू डू दिस इन माई लाइफ बट अ लॉट लेटर इन लाइफ एन आई स्टार्टेड माई ओन एटेक कंपनी एंड वी वॉन्ट वेंट टू टीच किड्स हाउ टू कोड Uh, and that time I remembered like how that uh, PLCs and the ladder logic worked, and I figured that going to fourth grade, fifth grade kids, uh, teaching them programming using ladder logic was much more easier than telling them okay. if else these yeah. kind of things. Ladder logic was much more easier for them to understand. At least they understood that okay, logic is getting built. That was a great enough step for us because if you go and tell them that int main and what is angular bracket, what is dot is, that's just useless information for them at this stage. Mm-hmm. They are not going to compile C plus plus programs, and mm-hmm. so we taught them using ladder logic, and so that skill sort of uh, got used because uh, we were able to build some graphical. And I think this is a great example of how serendipity throws up a problem at you. Yes. Right. Uh, I am firmly in the camp that absolutely no knowledge ever goes to waste. Yes, yes, yes. Firmly in that camp. That was the time when I internalized that same belief <laughs> myself that okay, that first year I did that <laughs> designed PLCs. Now that that knowledge is getting. You know, I, I I sometimes feel that every such instance, I think that that we come across, we should sort of put it out because a lot of people, I think immediate relevance of a topic is a bane on. uh you know any on 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 the community that is trying to learn mm-hmm. uh i think we we need to make sure that there's there's this notion that gets firmly established mm-hmm. that just keep on learning during that learning you can make it fun for yourself without being limited by what your prof is teaching you or something like that but absolutely learn every single thing that you can it shows Uh, so maybe a little bit of uh, you know uh, picking that strand and tugging that string a little bit i see a lot of times people are learning with a little bit of instant gratification type of goal in mind uh, to expand upon that i mean somebody is thinking okay there is a interview to crack so i i think of the engineers that i know personally in my circle 50% of them have learned system design because they had to crack an interview now they are good at system design getting used but for them the instant gratification was okay i have applied to a company and i'm learning this or some test to give some exam is coming and uh, mostly it's some short term goal visible two weeks down the line and people are learning because of that um so i mean is that a good framework itself or should people try to subscribe to longer term goals or even this model is also fine for learning again like most things in life there is no sort of single rule for everybody uh, right um i think there would be enough people who can survive without doing it but the, the real question is do you want to survive do you want to excel okay if you do want to excel along these lines in this industry there's really no substitute for going deep right right the trigger could be like i encounter it frequently now where i'm having to do something and i look up something on google or stack overflow right essentially optimizing for the immediate situation yeah. as you are describing right the point is that good enough answer is that sufficient or i use that as an opportunity to get into the next level right um say for example you were trying to learn about git how git works okay and something made you read up about merkle trees hmm okay 
fair enough you read up about it the scenario one is you forgot about you immediately sort of irrelevant for me i i just need to do git uh, bisect or i don't need to understand the difference between rebase versus merge and stuff like that i just my job got done my job got done yeah scenario 2 is hmm okay there seems to be something called a merkle tree okay and this is how git internally sort of uh, represents things not only did it help me understand about uh, rebase versus merge but it's i i sort of get a feeling that merkle trees are interesting and just leaving it at that then a couple of years later years later you came across blockchain and you realize ha huh, i noticed this pattern you know this seems like merkle tree this keeps on popping up no matter which blockchain platform i'm talking about okay so this seems to be using this as well uh so and you start recognizing that blockchain is equal to merkle tree plus digital signatures yeah. plus consensus consensus algo yeah. proof of work or proof of stake whatever this is what blockchain is what you've done is to a person at the surface this would have been a complexity in their mind it would have been a complexity of o n the number of con- the number of surface level technologies that they are learning yeah for you because of the underlying thing yeah you were actually able to map it on to uh, you know you are able to yes so your information density right wo well, um, maths may we have this concept of basis vectors yes yes right so you have a vector space yeah. which can be infinite in size and you have bunch of basis vectors some linear combination of them can represent any vector in that yeah. vector space okay we call them basis vectors yeah. the point is the more you study those individual bases it's the same analogy in the technology space right the point is do you want to learn those individual vectors all over the vector uh, space ones. yes or just cover the bases or do you want to cover the basis vector vectors right right the more you learn about the basis vectors what combination produces that technology right that completely changes the game at the speed at which you learn and your retention of all of these concepts as well as your ability to determine what is what is fluff versus what is real hmm. okay because you understand the underlying components with which that technology is created right you 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 can start predicting again higher order effects of i know that if there is distributed consensus involved it can never match a centralized speed yeah. so the cost the additional cost of it has to be compensated with some additional benefit that is coming in by using a blockchain right so you you start figuring things out in those terms right than just operating at the surface and i think it completely changes the game that with which you are thinking about a problem right 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 so yeah the trigger can be a short term objective an interview or you know a problem that you're facing but if you're keeping yourself restricted to that you're depriving yourself the opportunity mm mm-hmm. So, so you know, come across a topic, going deeper. Yes, it's an opportunity. You you can also create a log. I need to go deeper into this once a week. View that log. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that we, I think. Which so. is why we have God has given us so many tabs, correct? <laughs> <laughs> Someday I'm going to read <laughs> the ninety-nine plus tabs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, taking you. dragging you to a bit of a controversial topic now okay uh, these are not uh, yeah these <laughs> <laughs> let's see 
but i think uh, i think you and abhimanyu recently were discussing on a twitter space also about this uh, why i'm going from here is because uh, like say in college a lot of these concepts are getting taught and uh, because this a uh, lot of times people say that okay you can skip these concepts to get started with uh, like a, a coding boot camp a programming boot camp is a good place to start off with you can get a programming job concepts when you need will come back to and then sort of that's part of the i think bigger debate around uh, in terms of uh, judging candidates hiring whether skills versus degrees so what's your uh, take on this like at a surface level the skills versus degree thing also like in terms of the college curriculum which contains the fundamentals is that a good way to approach or see i think a lot of it we had already covered in that twitter uh, uh, discussion and the follow up twitter space about it uh, so let me summarize it in this way like my mental model of the role of uh, things like scalar uh, versus the role of college is that there will always be a need to teach skills very specific skills yeah. programming is a skill a college the role of college effectiveness we'll talk about separately <laughs> but the role of college is it teaches you you learn how to learn yeah right not only do you cover not only does a college college most college curriculums at least the first two years yeah. are are all about the fundamentals and a wide variety of different uh, you know foundations but the sheer density of the the number of things that you're gathering yeah remember no matter which way that has been force fit in your mind it is there somewhere an imprint of there that is there in your in your mind right i i posed that question during that debate that if you were to be given a calculus a, a problem in your day to day working that requires calculus or say for example matrix multiplication yeah or matrix manipulation would it be easier for you to do it versus a person who's never gone through it mm-hmm. right that imprint has a certain mark correct correct on how you think about the problems so you are able to recollect something yeah. you are able to get quickly up to speed okay? right 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 and because at least the first two years to two and a half years i would say five semester uh, kitna eight four five semesters yeah. um a lot of it is about foundation yeah. so that sh- that changes the way you think hmm. okay so for example any electrical engineer who did okay in their electrical engineering course this notion of domain mapping frequency domain time domain this yeah, sort of yeah, a thing yeah. that exists somewhere yeah. right and this notion that you can map something to a different domain and vice versa it it changes the way that that you think about a problem right now imagine you were to talk about something like mapping the amplitude of something onto a color space just yesterday i was reading some i remember who post i don't remember who posted about it about as you move the the phone it changes the hue the color space yeah. this is something that uh, actually i used to uh, so back in 2016 17 i was running coding blocks I used to go to a lot of college workshops and this is the one app i would actually make people uh, do in colleges actually so you take the ax ay and az and map it to rgb values so that you turn precisely. the phone around precisely yeah right so so you you understand that right now this notion of mapping yeah is so 
muscle mem- memory kind of baked into your into into yeah, into your yeah, psyche yeah, yeah. versus a person who's never been exposed to that thing it will seem a little alien hmm, hmm, hmm. right and this is what college does so to your point yeah. about uh, college versus the role of uh, you know uh, a scalar academy i think a college changes the way you think right okay right. is it possible for a person to do that themselves absolutely possible yeah Will it require tremendous amount of discipline? Absolutely. Right. Like uh, my guess would be less than one in ten thousand people would actually be able to do it. Why? Yeah. When so much is at stake, you are told that your job is dependent upon you doing all of these things. Hmm. Okay. Whether or not it's true is a separate matter. Yeah. But even when so much is at stake, people do end up doing such a poor job of adhering to that discipline or learning about those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there, if given a choice do you really think that people would go through all of that foundation i think very very few very people few people would. okay so coming to the point they have a role efficacy aside hmm. okay got it efficacy around i would just say that what i was sharing earlier do not limit yourself to your profs yeah all right you've gone to an engine no matter which engineering college you've gone to focus on the curriculum pick up the best possible things Right. Invigorate your mind with all possibilities. Playing around with that concept. Right, right. Play around with it. Right. We discussed entropy. We discussed uh, Markov uh, chains. Uh, you know, you you pick, for example, uh, Fourier analysis. Try to find out where exactly is it practically yeah. used. Right. And we know that you know it, it like it's every multimedia that you know we are actually it's it's everywhere. Yeah. Right, the the phone that we use is talking to the tower using yeah. all of these technologies. Right, the more we unblock ourselves, yeah. that much more we would be able to leverage it. But that's the point around efficacy. Yeah, things like Scalar Academy have a great role to play on particular skills. The reason why I'm saying so is that my guess is that. you know places like these will not run multi year curriculums okay places that, like the, i i could be wrong if you guys have plans you know that's a different matter uh but uh, because the amount of information density that needs to be packed the call what colleges end up doing yeah they society has an accepted the society has accepted that much amount of time as being investment Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So here you guys, you guys may be running six months courses, or maybe you know I don't know, maybe more than that as well. Within that time frame, you can you can bridge a lot of that academia and industry gap, right? Making right. things deeply relevant or focusing on a particular technology. I but I find it very hard to imagine that all of the foundation that gets covered in like you know five different semesters being packed into six yeah. months. Maybe I, the I, first two years of college, especially, I would say. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, that's. I think that's uh, true because, for example, uh, one of the things I uh, find uh, like teaching in front end about animations is about the timing curves. So uh, when when you have a linear timing curve, the animation does not look natural to you. Mm, mm, mm. So when you do a Beazer curve, then it looks natural that okay, the thing decelerates and yeah, stops yeah. there. Or or especially like if you are doing an object which goes to the right and comes back, then to add that bounce effect at the end. Uh, now. especially if you are somebody who would be designing that yeah thing. if you are going to be designing that animation in that front end of your if you are bringing excellence into this as simple yeah, as yeah. that right you can you can make those animations you know in a linear way 
but yeah. they, they, that would look very um the janky janky it would yeah. look very janky exactly. right it doesn't exactly. look natural it would feel like there is degradation of performance of your phone looking at an animation Precise. because it's not natural to the eye Precise. you know uh, now to actually uh, when sometimes i go deeper into that uh, topic is that okay like if you actually throw a ball up and then it comes back down what will be the yt graph for mm-hmm. that or if you drop a ball and it hits the floor and comes up then what will be the yt graph mm-hmm. so one would be a parabola other would not be a parabola other would be like this so uh, that is something i've seen like obviously people who have had an inclination towards uh, mechanics and drew their free body Precisely. diagrams <laughs> back Precisely. in the day Precisely. they 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 come up with that yeah, much more easy uske liye to you don't even need i mean most anybody preparing for entrance yeah, exams yeah, or yes, yes, yes. will would have gone but that's a great example right yeah. about day to day use of things that which at that point in time we never thought it would be useful right right so i do feel that uh, you know non college institutions have a significant role to play right but i don't think the 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 college as a substitutable thing yet right so i think i mean in summary i would say that you know like out of like the online discourse that uh, often is there about skills versus degrees which is sort of judging a person by pedigree versus by their ability that is a very different discussion that's a very different that's a very different discussion i come to, i fully agree with that, that interdisciplinary knowledge that you need at the precisely. foundation precisely that i think is a lot of people start conflating that start conflating that that's a problem i start taking an issue with that only when people start talking about that college is useless you know you can skip college altogether yeah, yeah right it's not the degree that is actually material but the the time that you actually spend there so long as you spent that time productively it changes the way you think Right. and you would be surprised at the degree to which it uh, in fact i had a exchange with somebody uh, on twitter that who called out i don't remember somebody said i don't use my crazy <laughs> engineering mathematics yeah. uh, you know in my data and i was like how do you not i use i use that probability <laughs> thing yes, on yes, a day to day i think i i use, I use linear so algebra yeah, yeah. day to day basis yeah. if you're not using that you're doing something wrong man. yeah so uh true 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 uh another aspect of uh, learning i think all this while we have uh, probably not touched upon and i wanted to get your thoughts on is the uh, role of uh, peers and community as well like you know uh, is it like do you feel like peers who would like probably like i personally have felt like going to a lot of hackathons with my friends that contributed a lot towards uh, my learning like if i have to specifically talk about uh, peers in that terms so uh, what role do you think that you know having friends who are also learning similar things or being in a space with 10 other people who are learning similar things uh, or challenging each other about you know uh, learning things how much role does that play how crucial is that It's significant significant like, right in fact in that twitter space with anshuman this is the piece that had come across most prominently yeah that the community around you so in college for example far more far more than your profs it's the it's your peers it's your peer students that actually shapes right, right? because if you're not having a fun probably useless but still fun discussion about you know a markov chain yeah right or you know some fun discussion around entropy or right. whatever else that you can say th- or eigen values right uh, if you're not thinking about uh, some of those uh, uh, fun things those things like who do you discuss with like having that debate inside your head versus having that over a you know chai sutta sort of a yeah. environment is very different 
right? Right? Extending the same logic to your professional setup. Let's say somebody is trying to do exactly what we were discussing earlier about taking RCAs very rigorously yeah, yeah. or, you know, some other thing very rigorously, approaching things in a very methodical, in a very engineering-centric yeah. way. If your peer group is like, you know, the, like, you know, that person would, would just be like, I don't think that person would ever think about yeah, 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 yeah. taking that step again, right? Mm -hmm. So... I think the community around you plays a massive role. Right. They need to have the same orientation, that same eagerness to talk geeky. Yeah. Right? Talk geeky. I, I love, my, my, my wife says, talk nerdy to me. <laughs> you know? so for example, if, if I'm having a chat with somebody in office over phone and we are exchanging certain technical, my wife's like, you know, I love you, you when, you know, you're talking nerdy. I think, um, uh, I think uh, there is, a lot of fun to be had when the people around you are share the same orientation. Right, right. Share the same orientation. They may not share the same answers. That right. would be horrible. Uh, but that orientation to be geeky, yeah. to talk in engineering terms, yeah. you know, to be rigorous, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, to push things to their limit. Yeah. Uh, some things can be, you know, there's always a time pressure or things like that. That sort of you figure out those trade-offs, etc. Right. But the culture, the manner in which you talk, mm -hmm. all right, those sort of things cannot, should not be getting compromised. Right, right, right. Right. So yeah, community absolutely plays a tremendous role. So in that, in fact, uh, because uh, the the first startup I started right after college was actually about teaching people to program, very similar to what also Scalar does. As a result of that, like a lot of my friend group is from the people who actually started that, and. Uh, it's it's a exactly the kind of you know peer group you're saying where you know somebody after few glasses of alcohol also <laughs> not able to think properly but geeky jokes getting cracked and somebody disagrees that no asa nahi hota hai then you're like nahi maybe laptop khol ke I will do it and I will show it not able to type properly but I have to prove this point I agree so uh, here there is a uh, question and if you have an answer to it or not is that for me that ended up happening because of a side effect of starting a company around learning, right? Uh, but how can somebody actively also find out such peer groups, find out such communities? Because I definitely feel like a summary from your answer also is that you should actively look for such communities if you're already not in one. Uh, so what are sort of avenues uh, to do that? I think avenues are many. Uh, look online, where do people tend to, uh, you know, talk in these terms or behave in a certain way or their orientation to problem solve in a certain way hmm. and you think about which sort of a little more permanent work uh, where you are what you're trying to do is you're trying to find a tribe hmm. right and uh, it's not like you're looking for just a weekend hangout although that also is sufficient if you're tall you cannot change your workplace even that is okay right. that's better than nothing um so you find out where, you know, uh, these people work, where do they hang out, you know, and just go after them. I mean, Twitter is a good place uh, to be uh, looking at some of these things. A lot of mailing lists are great as well. Yeah. Um, so you figure out your own thing. I, I don't think there is one or two specific prescriptions. But one should definitely actively look Absolutely look right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's so much, so much mindless fun to be had. Like yeah. entropy, when the entropy thing is going on, <laughs> I, I was so tempted, you know, I think, uh, 
to throw this as a as an org uh, puzzle instead of oh, a weekend no. <laughs> uh, dev puzzle okay. right. tell me you know define entropy for an organization an organization right. okay and try to evaluate different organizations that you know or you have friends in right on on those parameters i think that would be a very fun exercise yeah 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 for sure <laughs> <laughs> different orgs can try yeah, and yeah, yeah. fit those parameters absolutely. and see absolutely joel test <laughs> <laughs> where do you fit on the entropy yeah, test absolutely absolutely that will be fun uh, as a much orthogonal to this there is this question because i just say that i will come back to this when we were talking about you were saying that as a engineer a bit of product thinking uh, is sort of important and uh, uh the reason i'm uh, talking about this question is because actually for the people who are viewing it uh, the thing is like these days a lot of uh, becoming a product manager seems to be sort of in vogue in twitter a lot of people talking about it a lot of people having a pushback also that no everybody can't just come and become a product manager you need a certain way of thinking around it um what what i have seen is that obviously as it happens like when the hype is there in the wind people start talking about it. a lot of engineers also sort of mid stage in their career have been discussing have been also asking me that okay like what does it take to be a product manager should i become a product manager is that a correct decision to take um so obviously it's a very common thing that happens like engineers becoming yeah. product managers in tech company that's sort of very uh, common that happens uh so the question is like you know as a individual uh, how do i uh, figure out probably like is that a right decision for me like should i go into product management or not uh, is that a right call sure and let's talk about it yeah um i think um i'm going to start with motivation hmm. all right because i suspect that a lot of people end up thinking about it like that because they are unsure about what exactly am i doing hmm. okay um so if you were to ask somebody yeah why do you want to be a product manager i'm sure some of them would have well thought out reason but a lot of people will end up calling out impact yeah right i want to have impact i i want my work to directly impact but no matter which way you dig further into into that response you would realize that there is some sort of a notion that i'm away from impact yeah another my, maybe aspect i have seen is that people think that growth comes from becoming that person who gives you the task precisely precisely <laughs> the pms are giving me task that means growth means becoming pm becoming then i will give tasks to another person like precisely, me precisely precisely you are absolutely correct yeah. okay and I, i like to phrase that as a problem of uh, control of decision making hmm. where does the control lie hmm. and that actually acts as a huge motivation for people to think about a certain career change remember that they are not thinking in terms of what does a pm do and how do i actively train myself to actually be a great pm they are thinking about far more in terms of what you described jumping to the control plane jump into the control plane right yeah. where the decision making i want to be there because yeah. you know this person is important this person is telling me and you know that sort of a thing i think a lot of people on twitter have talked about it so you know what i'm about to say is nothing new or unique or something like that earlier we were talking about this notion of growth has ambiguity resolution all right decision making higher order effects all of these things at a at a fundamental level i feel that no matter what kind of line you pick for career growth these yeah. patterns remain but in what way these things show up is what changes 
For a product manager, often enough, that is the nature of ambiguity is far more about studying the user, uh, understanding the need, figuring out in what way are we best suited to actually produce a product that solves that need and that sort of a thing, or in what way we can try to influence their behavior in a certain way, etc. Or some internal business goals which will indirectly map to this anyways. On the technical side of things, I don't really like this distinction. At Udan, for the longest while, I had not kept product managers. Mm. Okay, for, for the same reason that I feel it's an artificial separation. Mm -hmm. The a lot of the technical ambiguity is actually linked with your product ambiguity. Yeah. So why separate out? Yeah. Your technical choices will limit your product choices later, yes. and vice versa. So why separate out? Keep it the same. There, there's, there's a lot of nuance to it. It's not as binary as what I'm making it out to be, but the core principle is the same. Now the point is that. People who start thinking about actually becoming a product manager have to start recognizing that a lot of it is about resolving those ambiguities, hmm. making choices, figuring out the effects of those choices, not immediately, but six months later, nine months later. Yeah. That's the higher order thinking, yeah, yeah. right? They cannot not have that ability and think that they would make a great PM. Right, right. Okay. So if they truly... I usually recommend to people that get into it if you love user-centric problem solving. Okay. okay. Remember that ambiguity resolution is going to be a trait that will show up no matter which line you pick. Right. As a as we were discussing earlier. As a technical lead also, that's a primary thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And organizations, unfortunately, a lot of organizations artificially create this this equation between a pm and en engineer would be told do this and the monkey would dance <laughs> right that's a very pathetic way of actually uh, creating setups and which is these sort of are these are the sort of environments and cultures where engineers take only for compensation yeah. right because you're not really having fun mm -hmm. you're just being told what what you're not really you're not really leveraging the the intellectual capacity that you have. Right. You're not resolving any, you're not making any decisions, yeah. right? So long as people realize that ambiguity resolution, resolving ambiguities, thinking higher order effects, all of these are going to show up no matter which line I take. Right. And they are thinking about getting into the PM line only because they absolutely love the user-centric side of things because that's also very all-consuming thing. You need to study the users a lot more. That's a good motivation to go. Right. And that also tells you what path you need to take. You need to, you, you naturally, the moment you realize this, you naturally understand what capabilities do I need to develop in order to be able to do that. Right, right. Right? A lot of organizations also have, unfortunately, have PMs as postmen. <laughs> yeah. Right? Sort of messengers. Because engineers talk geek, uh, talk Greek. <laughs> and our business team talks something else, Yeah, we need to have some messenger in between. Yeah, yeah. So what are the traits of this PM? They will create PRDs. Yeah. Okay. They will convert everything into... Business speak to geek speak. Geek speak. <laughs> and they will do this. That's such a... I don't know what 
adjective to use that's such a primitive way hmm. of actually doing things it's reflective of such a such a such an pathetically old era hmm. um of of development so uh yeah i do hope that organizations end up doing a lot far less of that right. and tms are really used for intellectual horsepower with the same degree of rigor being applied to user centric problem solving right if that is happening absolutely engineers who love to do that should absolutely shift there right 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 so uh, this product manager thing uh, i think like we discussed like what is the initial motivation and uh, i think partly i what i see is for a lot of people is because it is what a lot of people are discussing about it is the hype and uh, and so talking about hype and actually uh, mapping that to learning also uh, i just want to ask is your opinion on how would somebody who is learning uh, separate the wheat from the chaff because hype cycles keep coming going and a lot of times like people try to subscribe what they are supposed to learn with what is currently in hype might not be uh, the the most appropriate thing to learn Uh, so that sometimes seems to be like people get distracted a lot because this is what everybody is talking about on twitter so maybe this is what i'm supposed to learn yeah it's a it's a bit tricky hmm. um and i think if i were to be completely honest i don't think i've always been successful in separating these two things out <laughs> there have been enough times when i've gone down the path only to realize realize it much later right right um the good part is that it never ends mm. right so hype cycles keep on coming and going so the more such cycles you've been exposed to at least you start noticing a pattern right 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 um so every single time there's a there's a new hype at least you you start approaching it a little more cautiously <laughs> uh, so you start applying a lot more filters um I think one of the things that definitely helps is again going back to our analogy of how how knowledge is stacked yeah right as an inverted pyramid at the base are the most core components like maths and everything and then your next level concepts like merkle trees or you know digital signatures blah 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 and you keep on expanding at the very surface is every single product out there every single uh, thing that got built every single framework every single you know hyped project whatever the more we think about the fundamentals that much more effectively we are able to analyze that that whatever entity is being hyped yeah if at all what is being claimed is violating something something at the more fundamental layers right you start realizing that there is there is something that is wrong with it you may not exactly be able to put your finger on it but you start realizing that something is wrong right right, right? i'll give you two examples of it um one of the things was people calling out in blockchain Uh, this is before the zkl2 and all of these sort of things um that it would scale up to the throughput and the latency of um, centralized systems yeah but the like say for let's consider if you are a person who doesn't know anything about technology there's no reason for you to question that claim correct 
hmm. right? Because you you do not understand how internally it's actually working. But if you were to uh, be a person who understands uh, that there is a certain consensus that is actually at play, you understand that there is a linear you know block that is actually being maintained. Yeah. Uh, with every single block being signed and you know stuff like that. You start realize you start understanding there is always going to be an overhead. Yeah. Right. Distributed by inherently it is. Absolutely. So the moment you have distributed consensus, certain amount of microsecond, you can probably move it from milliseconds to microseconds. You'll not be able to cut it down below that. Yeah. Right. So because there is there is you know uh, you know consensus ultimately being arrived at. You know for a fact that it cannot actually come to the performance considerations of a centralized system. Right, right, right. right? So you, you start thinking, the moment you start thinking in those terms, you don't have to understand, you don't have to exactly learn solidity to be able to predict that. Right. Right. Those are some of the things, um, you know, because you're operating in more fundamental levels. Another example is, let me not pick the quantum physics one. Let's keep it related to uh, software tech. At some point in time, somebody talked about email on-chain. Yeah, blockchain emails. Uh, yeah, blockchain emails and stuff. Now, because of certain other prior work in cryptography, I was familiar with the concept of uh, forward secrecy, right? Um, uh, the... If I wouldn't have known that, you wouldn't be able to identify what exactly is wrong with this because people are claiming that the email is lying on chain encrypted, hmm. right? But because at some point in time, somebody can crack that particular key and actually uh, look up your, read your email. Read your email, yeah. Right? Forward secrecy is broken. So yeah. fundamentally, there is something wrong with it. Yeah. Right? So the point is, the more uh, deeper you are operating in, the more sort of uh, lower in the stack you are thinking in terms of, that much more effectively you can uh, you can analyze a lot of these things, which is, I can guarantee you that my own ability, whenever I have succeeded uh, in separating these two, you know, shaft from whatever it is, it's always been, every single time, it's been linked with operating uh, yeah, one or two levels below. It's never been because of surface level ana analysis. So there is, it goes back to the same thing. By the way, the same thing operates in the product domain, right? Mm -hmm. If you are, when you think about why a product succeeded or why a product failed, reasons can be many, right? right? And even there, you can operate at the surface level, or you can you can think a few levels deeper and exactly characterize what, what exactly was wrong. Yeah. Is it the supply chain cost of uh, you know these ten minute del deliveries? Uh, but remember, when when you are talking about those uh, supply chain costs, you are not talking like just any person who's read an article. You're talking in terms of, okay, uh, you know, my pickup time is this, these many people are operating in my hub, from here to the, uh, from my dark store to the uh, user, this much time on an average is being taken. 
uh, and because of such and such things, the my operating cost is this, which means that my average card size needs to be above such value for it to actually work. You've characterized the problem, right? Right. This correct this this rigor of characterization. Yeah. Notice it is no different than how an engineer operates. True, true, true. true. It's just that you are you are thinking in in a little more in in a little more user domain side of things, not exactly on the technology side of things, but the nature of characterization is identical. Highly effective PMs don't talk about just the user narrative. They talk about the underlying mechanics right. of how this product is really working. Right, right. Right? Um, what exactly is driving engagement? What is my biggest uh, trigger for people to, to be opening the app again? Right? People being able to talk in those terms and a few levels deeper. I think a rigor, there is no substitute to rigor. Yeah. And that is the only thing that can actually help you figure out what's real and what's just hype. Right, right, right. That, that's, I think, uh, uh, so I think it's a mixture of two things. One is like smell tests around, like you're saying, claims of, okay. Some is, fundamental uh, thing being violated, like speed of light being violated. Yeah, so some smell tests around that and obviously going to the, uh, I think, fundamentals. Yeah. So, so for example, in terms of blockchain itself, if somebody actually goes deep enough and understands the cryptographic algorithms being used in mercilatories, even if the hype goes over, that knowledge is still going to be used somewhere else. Absolutely. So, so that is something we should focus on rather than, okay, understanding how DAO or NFT is working because that's more serviceable and that's not transferable then. Absolutely. If this hype goes over, something else comes, you're lost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, the, you know, a very related point to this is FOMO. Hmm. Right. Um, and at some point in time, I think in another recent chat, somebody had asked this question to me. And the point is the same that if we keep our interest to the surface level, right? Yeah. There's no way avoiding FOMO because yeah. there's just so much happening in the, at the surface level. You yeah. fundamentally can never keep track. However, if you were to be, you know, far more interested in what are some of the foundational new concepts that are actually being introduced, hmm. right? Um, that's something that uh, firstly it moves far more inertially hmm. it, it is it is it doesn't move too far there's not a lot of flux at the foundational pieces yeah right um you can afford to study uh things at your own pace on the foundational pieces right, right? surface level because just too much is happening uh, there's no point in having focus yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's no point in it. So Kubernetes, for example, you can think about a, like a completely, you know, fresh person may actually approach it as a completely new piece of technology. On the other hand, if you were to think about in terms of orchestration, like, you know, uh, uh, how your uh, things get deployed or how uh, state management is done amongst all of, or all of your services, etc. You start, in fact, there used to be something called Mesos. Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. Yeah. So you know, you you the more the more you get exposed to similar technologies, you start identifying these things for what they do, right. and not the syntax of it. Yeah, because a lot of that is oftentimes even marketing driven in in terms Precisely. of what they're claiming to do. Precisely. Yeah. Right. So so that ends up being far too overwhelming if you were to think about it. If you if you approach something from a surface level perspective. 
Instead of that, if you were to approach it from the perspective of what is it doing for you and a little more fundamental level, um, you start, I think you are able to retain just far more and your speed of learning is a lot, lot faster. Right, right. Uh, one uh, more thing uh, I would say in terms of learning uh, is uh, what I seem to sometimes notice is people uh, tend to uh, frameworkification of something they are learning and, and uh, sort of applying that a very rigidly to a lot of different scenarios. And then uh, to take an example, I was uh, recently just teaching, okay, how to do a low-level object-oriented design of something like a tic-tac-toe game. And the moment I created a board class, somebody said that why is there no iBoard interface? Like you should always create an interface before implementing a class, somebody said that. And I said that, okay, like, do I have to create two boards here that both will have certain commonalities and unless we do it, uh, this happens. Uh, this being a small example, easy to sort of uh, take that example and explain to them that, okay, here I don't need an interface. But what happens is uh, because a lot of times people are learning things in terms of frameworks, like a in terms of this particular case, solid and, uh, you know, this or uh, creational pattern. Microservices for that. Microservices for that uh, matter. Right? Just because that's how to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so sometimes you learn something, maybe it's a good framework, it sort of fits for the first time you're solving a problem, then you go to the second problem and you try to force fit that, that seems to happen. So how to maybe escape that, how to stay flexible? Um, without coming across as, so I'm re really trying not to come across as preachy, <laughs> but the basis of that again is is the fundamentals. If we have just memorized the best practices, hmm. we would obviously be, this is the best practice. Right. right. It's no different than a religious extremist trying to push for what they believe is right. Hmm. Right? Hmm. Without any notion of context or something like that. Um, on the other hand, if you understand why it is the way it is, right, which again takes you a few, you know, concepts deeper in what context, why, you know, did this come into being, etc. You start understanding where is the uh, context and you start evaluating, does my current problem context require me to do this? So like take some best practice and don't stop there. Understand whether it's applicable to your con the same context. My point is how will you assess whether it's applicable. It will take you down exactly the same path, going a little deeper, going one level deeper, two levels deeper, three levels deeper right. into, into, that, uh, into that problem. Somebody who's never faced um, polymorphism, yeah, right, would not know, somebody who's not faced the pain of polymorphism, and pain as in, you know, where without writing polymorphic code, I'm having to deal with the needs of polymorphism, yeah. that person would not appreciate the context. Even if you were to tell that person the context, that this best practice is applicable only in this context. Mm -hmm. It's not hit them. I can tell you because I have the made that. Context is not theirs. I, I, yeah, I'm telling you because I have made that mistake. Mm. Okay. How do most of the people actually learn uh, about polymorphism? Why animal, cat, dog, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Right? So, like, who writes that? Yeah. Have you ever written shape, <laughs> square, triangle no. code? I've never, right? right? So we, it doesn't hit us, yeah. right? You know, the first time I actually uh, truly understood polymorphism was one when it happened actually within a 
interval of a week. So thankfully, it sort of got stuck in my mind. I was in college. I, there used to be a multimedia player called XMMS. Ha ha ha! Yes, yes. Okay. Very old. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for. <laughs> so, I was going through its source code about uh, how different multimedia formats it's actually able to support. Hmm. Okay. And around the same time, I was going through some of the Linux kind of related stuff because usamape. To make printers work, you needed to recompile the kernel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I happened to be going still. through. <laughs> no, not still. Yeah, these days, half of the time it's. I, I don't believe that, but <laughs> fair enough. I think the the point is that uh, reading through the code where you are using pointers to functions. Yeah. As a way of implementing polymorphic code, in my mind, remember at that until that point in time, C does not have polymorphism. Hmm. It is C plus plus which has polymorphism. Right, right, right. Okay. Now within that week, I understood not. I didn't just truly internalize the concept of polymorphism, because plugins required you to have polymorphic code yeah. because you have just one ABI and underlying implementations can be many, right? So, not only did I understand the essence of uh, that, but I also immediately grasped at that moment the notion of V table lookups and ES subtype features in C++. Give modules, pointers to each of them. Huh. So how all of these things actually were, it sort of came together in a very nice way. My point is, by my own experience, I'm telling you that reading a best practice, even when you have read the context, is not the same as actually experiencing that context. True. Okay. So one of my favorite things is, go ahead and make that bloody mistake. Mm. Suffer through it. Okay, and that learning, <laughs> I you know we we were discussing it earlier, right, offline. That learning by jund, right, <laughs> where you know you got embarrassed by uh, by your own incompetence, yeah, arrogance, whichever way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so that or learning by trial through fire, hit a wall, face. Yeah, 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 going through that pain. Right. These are the two learnings that sort of stick with us. Right, right. All right. So my point is, we can accelerate that learning by going a few levels deeper. Right. We can do that by studying existing code, trying to speculate. Hmm, if I were to be implementing this logic in the Linux, in the Linux kernel or in Python hmm. uh, interpreter, how would, I be inter how would I be writing this logic? And then trying to take a guess at it and then looking at the code, is it really the same? Hmm. I'm telling you, like I've been surprised by that. Uh, one day I was, uh, which was that? This was Java, hmm. okay, and very early days. And you know, I was thinking, sorting logic, sorting logic. How would Java be? You know, I've read all of this stuff in this thing. Let's go ahead and look at how does Java less array dot sort array actually. Sort I looked at it and I saw peculiarity. I don't know if it is still there or not. If the size is less than equal to seven, yeah, yeah then it does a linear. Is a linear sort. Yeah, otherwise it, it, that it uses the quick, sort, sort, uh, quick and merge. I don't know some merge sort. But I think the point is that condition I hadn't grasped. Hmm. I'd read, you know, if you were to ask somebody that for a very, very short list, does it make sense to have the overhead of, right, uh, right, you right. know, your O, uh, you know, uh, N login sort of a thing? Or, you know, do you proceed with the pedantic way in which you've actually sort of studied? Yeah. Going through that code sort of exposes all of those realities, those choices that engineers actually made because they, they encountered those situations, right? 
and there's so much existing code out there which can shape a lot of that understanding but what we need to do is we need to do that extra effort of first trying to think about how would i be implementing this and trying to then and comparing it. it with what yeah. exists so these are some of the ways that we can accelerate along with the, some of the other other things that we discussed about rcas and stuff like that mm -hmm. so all of these things good the good part is we can do on a day to day basis right about reading code one thing uh, i mean i i personally have learned a lot looking at a lot of open source code uh, including the linux kernel source code because i remember i learned uh, doing arithmetic with bitwise operators there because the audio kernel code it runs on so less memory that they can't yeah. do mathematical operations they do bitwise operations yeah. to uh, yeah. combine two waves and all uh, so i mean uh, the thing is that sometimes i tell sometimes students also that you know go and read some open source code and what often times happens is people get a little overwhelmed like they open some source code of let's say vlc or mozilla firefox and it's it's like <laughs> 20 million lines of code in a project uh, how would you uh, maybe advise people uh, to go about like what would what could be some entry points to sort of going like you were saying that the java sort algorithm you went and uh, checked that out uh, what can be other such entry points where they can go and read good quality code to learn because obviously such code exists in the world a lot so if i were to be very honest i have not done this in a very planned way hmm. okay um so i i don't think i can recommend a good playbook on that i can tell you what personally i have ended up yeah um for me when i hit a problem when i encounter something where something is not behaving the way it should be or something is uh buggy or something like that i end up looking at the underlying code behind it i can tell you that a lot of surprisingly large number of engineers actually have a mental block of looking at the source code of what they are actually going through right. okay um and just overcoming that and getting into this habit of on a need basis dive, you know deep diving into a piece of code at at a moment's notice is a great skill to have so whichever uh, like standardized functions you're ah, using always click on them and see what's inside yeah when when either when you get the curiosity or when you hit a bug right. something is not behaving in the way that it is right so um like one example of that would be before jdk5 this really really old stuff java used to have this um multi threaded singleton bug which actually like no point in talking about a lot in detail but you know bugs like those ended up eventually leading to a well defined memory model in jdk J java 5 onwards okay before java 5 there was no such java 5 or java 142 i think the, the memory model got defined in java 5 if i remember correctly so the, the i when i encountered that this is the system was not behaving in the way that it's actually uh, right. supposed to you start digging yeah yeah okay and you realize that there is something wrong with it yeah so the point is when you the same thing happened with a kubernetes related uh, uh, issue when we were initially setting up our cluster etc and i had to dig into the code and i realized there was a bug um, i escalated that to the relevant folks filed a bug report submitted a patch they ended up solving it in a different way but the point is these are great ways hmm. to actually enter into a into a, a alien code right right you hit a bug just thrash it out hmm right that mental block which you 
these are great opportunities because you have your entry point. You don't have to go through the full code base. You have a pain point in... Yeah, you do a grep. Yeah. You do a grep. Yeah. As simple as start with that and see where, you know, this code might be. And you look at that piece of code, do some basic analysis. Maybe out of 10 times initially, you would get a piece of information only two, three times. But that gets better. The more you do it, that much better you get at it. And so it's a brilliant skill to have. It can't start with, okay, today I'm going to understand everything in Firefox code. It won't be happening from there. I, I personally <laughs> have not done that. So I can't say with authority that it cannot work. I would be very overwhelmed if I were to do that, to be honest. So the entry point, if it's a personal problem, then it's uh, the motivation problem. is also very high. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'll fix it. <laughs> I have a problem right, right. now. Right. You have, you have something going back to your immediate objective thing. You have something to gain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Immediately. So mind works with great motivation when you have something to gain immediately. Right, right. So, so great points about uh, learning. I think uh, everybody uh, going through the video would, would uh, love, I think, some pointers everybody would have had from that. Uh, on on uh, sort of a concluding note, uh, what are your uh, perspectives around the tech ecosystem in India? A uh, lot of people wanting to get into tech, thinking it's it's a growing field, thinking more in terms of obviously, uh, you know, whether the field is growing, career perspectives, a lot of motivation people are coming in. But what, what's your uh, sort of, uh, what does it look like the next few years? And then people who are coming into the domain, uh, like you were saying, not a good word to use entry level engineers, but still people who are just beginning with engineering today. Uh, what are the things they just in terms of generally they should do uh, in the next few years? Um, I think um, on, on your first point, I think it's great that we have a lot of people coming into this uh, industry. Um, I think the speed of innovation in software is limited only by uh, the speed of our mind and the speed of our fingers. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think there's a big creativity boom that we are uh, looking at and it will keep on actually uh, getting better and better. Absolutely the place to be. Right. Um, what I would recommend and I'll, I, I have my own biases here, uh, that do not just limit yourself to being a coder. Right, right, right. I think technologies come and go. Yeah, and if you if you are if you are, it's okay to start off as a coder, okay. But you've got to continuously enhance yourself and start thinking like an engineer. I think the the difference being that technician versus engineer thing, right? A technician can fix a bulb, but they cannot design a system which, which complete you know a distribution system, or a a technician can go fix a bolt, but they cannot design a bridge that. Designing that bridge involves you predicting what would happen when there is traffic on that bridge, right? So the more we actually think about uh, degrees or no degrees does not matter, right? What matters is to what degree every day we are taking a step towards actually thinking deeper, better, like an engineer. Um, higher order thinking, um, understanding in mathematics. You don't have to start, you know, you don't have to pick up a Krizig uh, engineering mathematics uh, book. Start with applying mathematics on a day-to-day -day basis, day-to-day -day as in whenever the opportunity presents itself. Um, think about being more rigorous with your articulation, with your expression right. of problems. When you're problem solving with your peers, try to be more rigorous. This, by the way, is not just limited to engineers. It's equally relevant for engineering managers, product managers, the whole uh, group. 
the more people do that i think that much more longevity they will have in this space because i can tell you like you know two decades now uh, this june i would have completed 20 years in this industry foundations change very very slowly right surface the surface you are standing on will disappear in 3 years 5 years 10 years definitely right right but i see that accelerating so within 5 years purely the syntax of what you've learned would disappear right right but your fundamentals remain the same so if you are if you are staying true to the fundamentals you would have like a brilliant time ahead of you and i feel a lot more fun time ahead of you right 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 so a uh, lot of uh, i think great takeaways from this uh, i think uh, one is obviously you are very optimistic about the uh, future of the domain absolutely and in terms of learning uh, go deeper understand the concepts don't like limit yourself to the code or the framework level and uh, then i think sky is the limit for people absolutely okay thank you so much for you know sharing your time i think this has been like very valuable for everybody who will be watching it Uh, and even for me i think i also picked up a lot of good tips around how to go about learning uh, thinking of like the uh, small uh, you know short term uh, goals also the long term goals both can motivate you to learn so very helpful thank you so much uh, my pleasure arnav and thanks a lot for having